Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to spend some minutes with us as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' famous topic, his favorite topic indeed, the gospel about the kingdom of God. We invite you to lay aside your other tasks for a moment and consider the great issues of life and immortality, your own destiny as you work your way through the journey of life. It doesn't matter what state you now find yourself in, a state of prosperity, of poverty, of success or trouble and difficulty, tragedy even. The word of God, the gospel as Jesus preached it, resounds with a magnificent hope as it invites you, despite all possible present problems, to press on for the great reward, the great destiny for which God created you in the first place, to be an immortal ruler in the kingdom of God on the earth when Jesus returns. Blessed are the meek, said Jesus. They're going to inherit the earth. And that text, of course, should be taken in its plain, normal sense. It's a quotation of Psalm 37, verse 11, where the psalmist echoed the great promise made to Abraham. You remember that Paul said in Galatians 3, verse 8, that the gospel, the Christian gospel, that is, was preached beforehand to Abraham. And to Abraham, of course, was promised not only the great seed, his descendant, the Messiah, but the promise of territory, the ownership and possession of the land forever, that great oath-bound covenant promise of God in regard to the land was confirmed many times in the Hebrew Bible, was sung about in the Psalms, celebrated in Psalm 37 verse 11, and reaffirmed and confirmed as the ultimate destiny of all the faithful of all the ages and of all nations, all those who attach themselves to Christ as the Messiah of God. Blessed are the meek, Jesus says to that body of people, you're going to have the earth as your inheritance. Fear not, little flock, he said on another occasion, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And to be given the kingdom is to be given a share in the rulership of the world. Don't you know, said Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2, that the saints are going to manage the world? And if the world is to come under your jurisdiction, can you not settle your own petty affairs in the church now? You see, for Paul, the destiny of Christians was not to play a harp on a pink cloud in some region far removed from this planet, but actually to function as a messianic ruler in Messiah's kingdom to be established on the earth when he returns in power and glory. If that sounds strange or Jewish, let me tell you that Jesus was a Jew, that the New Testament is thoroughly Jewish. Salvation is from the Jews, Jesus said in John 4, verse 22. Salvation indeed came first to Jesus, the sinless human being, who resisted successfully every temptation of the devil, and as pioneer then of the kingdom message, as pioneer of salvation, now invites you and me to share that destiny as rulers in the kingdom of God on the earth in the future. The Bible is filled with hope that beyond all the tragedies and difficulties of this present life, there lies an era of unparalleled prosperity and peace and joy for the whole world. The only question is, will you be there? 
Have you responded to Jesus' invitation by means of his gospel of the kingdom message, his call to repentance in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15? Repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew 4.17 tells us that Jesus went about the whole of Galilee proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. This gospel of the kingdom has to be preached in the whole wide world, Jesus said, before he can return, before the end comes. You'll find that verse in Matthew 24, verse 14. After the resurrection of Jesus and his reappearance to the disciples, he spoke for six weeks to the disciples about the kingdom of God. In a six-week-long seminar, he personally visited with and tutored his apostles in the affairs of the kingdom of God. Acts 1, verse 3. In Acts 1, verse 6, the disciples asked the natural question, the question which was only reasonable in view of all the circumstances. They said to Jesus, as their famous last words to him before he ascended to the Father, Has the time now finally come? for you to restore the kingdom to Israel. And Jesus did not rebuke that question. Not for one moment did he look upon that as an ill-conceived or misinformed question. He simply said, it's not for you to know when that great event is going to happen. It wasn't a question of whether the kingdom would be restored to Israel. It was only a question of when that would be. Jesus himself said that only the Father knew the time when the kingdom of God would finally arrive. Meanwhile, the apostles were to spread the good news about the kingdom, announce its coming far and wide unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That's the Great Commission, which still binds and mandates everybody who claims to be a follower of Jesus. So give yourself a little self-test. How well are you doing in the propagation of the gospel about the kingdom of God? In Luke 4, verse 43, Jesus said the whole reason for his mission, the whole reason why God had commissioned him as the Messiah, was indeed to proclaim the gospel about the kingdom of God. Luke 4, verse 43. That's the reason why Jesus came. That's the basis of the Christian faith. The gospel, you see, has a perfectly clear label in the New Testament. It has an identity marker so that we should never lose track of the one only gospel message, the basis of Christianity. That gospel is everywhere called the gospel concerning the kingdom of God. If you look in Acts 8 verse 12, you'll find that it was only when potential converts had thoroughly grasped the idea of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ that they were ready to be baptized as intelligent adults grasping the notion of the kingdom of God, the messianic kingdom of the future, and their need to prepare for that kingdom now with all urgency. In Acts 19, verse 8, you'll find Paul discussing and preaching, persuading and arguing in regard to the kingdom of God. In Acts 20, verse 25, we have a marvelous summary of Paul's whole purpose and mission. Just like Jesus before him, he too was concerned and passionately concerned with the propagation of the gospel of the kingdom. In Acts 20, verse 24, you'll find Paul speaking of his ministry preaching the gospel of the grace of God. And in the very next verse, Acts 20, verse 25, he gives us a wonderfully clear definition 
of what it means to preach the gospel of the grace of God. Acts 20 verse 25 says, As I went about proclaiming the kingdom of God to you, there it is, Jesus preached the kingdom, Paul preached the kingdom, all the apostles preached the kingdom. As if this evidence was not sufficient enough to convince us all, in Acts 28 verse 23 we find Paul convening to his house a number of Jewish people, and he sat with them, the text says in Acts 28 verse 23, from dawn till dusk, dialoguing and persuading about the kingdom of God, using the law and the prophets, the Hebrew Bible, what we unfortunately call the Old Testament. You see, for Paul, the gospel, the Christian saving gospel, was rooted in the Hebrew Bible. That's why Paul explained it from the law and prophets from morning till evening. And some of the Jews who heard Paul were persuaded to become believers on the basis of their acceptance of the message of the kingdom, Jesus' own gospel message. And in the very last verses of the book of Acts, where we're given our final glimpse of the ministry of Paul by Luke, who wrote those famous chapters, indeed wrote the whole of the book of Acts, as well as the book of Luke, in Acts 28, verse 30 and 31, we read how Paul welcomed the people to him and began preaching the gospel about the kingdom of God and witnessing to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. And so you see the kingdom and the Messiahship of Jesus are the two focal points and centers of the gospel preaching, the Christian gospel itself. It's a very great error to suppose that the gospel consists only of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Well, you may say, didn't Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3 say that the gospel consists of believing that Jesus died and rose again? What has to be noticed carefully there, lest we put Paul in contradiction to Jesus, is the fact that Paul did not say that the death and resurrection of Jesus are the whole gospel. He said, I preach these things to you amongst things of first importance, included in the gospel, of course, were the great facts about the death and resurrection of Jesus, but that was not the whole gospel. To speak of the gospel only as the death and resurrection of Jesus is to cut it in half. The kingdom of God preaching underlies all the preaching about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The death and his resurrection are the means, if you like, to the kingdom, but they're not the end. The objective, the goal to which the Christian is directed is the kingdom of God to be established on this earth when Jesus returns in the clouds in power and glory to set his feet on the Mount of Olives, according to Zechariah 14, and to establish fair, sound, and sane government across our presently tortured planet. It is that famous announcement of a great era of peace and prosperity coming on earth which forms the driving heart of Jesus' ministry. And it's that gospel of the kingdom which is so terribly neglected, as it seems to us, in contemporary preaching. Much is heard of the death of Jesus, much is heard of his resurrection, but precious little exposition of his own gospel, which, after all, is the foundation of all apostolic preaching. It's time for Christians to take seriously the beginning of the ministry of Jesus and to note the warning and the admonition provided by Hebrews 2, verse 3, where we read that the beginning of the gospel is to be traced to the opening of the ministry of Jesus. It was Jesus 
who first preached the gospel, not Paul, as many seem to think. Much Christianity today seems to be based on a somewhat distorted view of Paul at the risk of the neglect of Jesus' teaching. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are three independent records of the preaching and teaching ministry of Jesus which lie at the foundation of saving grace and provide the keys by which we can become candidates for immortality via the resurrection to happen when Jesus returns. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 23 tells us that the Christians will be raised from death to life at the future coming of Christ. Christians do not depart to heaven at death. That is a post-biblical tradition which has confused a great deal of Bible reading. Everything in the New Testament points forward to the collective community resurrection of all the faithful of all the ages at the second coming of Jesus and not a moment before. Until that time, the dead must be content to rest and to sleep in the grave, pending their calling forth from the tomb at the arrival of Jesus in power and glory. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23. And Daniel 12, verse 2 says it beautifully. Speaking of that great future awakening of the dead from the sleep of death, Daniel writes this in the prophetic forecast. Many of those who are sleeping in the dust of the ground will awake, some to the life of the age to come, or everlasting life. That, of course, is the acquisition of immortality in the future age of the kingdom. We invite you to request our free book on the kingdom and join us again as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' famous and favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.